Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connection through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Darug people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Manafenua of Tifanganui Atara, where I'm recording today. <sighs> Yay! It's season three, it's our first episode feels like ages since we've recorded even though it's been a week a week yeah but also it's been a while since we've read a book and recorded about a book yes and we have our tea what are you drinking today uh good old peppermint with honey and lemon yum i've gone back to the the classic creme brulee it's a nice one i'll have to remember to stock some for when you come to visit me in real life it's happening yay It's happening. Listen, everybody keep your hands and your germs to yourselves. (laughs) Australia, New Zealand, I swear to God. I will riot. No jury will convict me, okay? I'm just saying. Did you have any moments of wonder this week? Um, I had a a little moment of wonder yesterday because I run a D&D session. Mm -hmm. So I am the DM and I've got a lovely crew of friends who play with me, including a friend in Auckland who we Zoom in so she can take part. She used to live here and she's moved. Um, anyway, and I was like, I'd left my planning for the session a bit late. I had a broad idea where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do, but I hadn't like sorted out the specifics. So on Friday night, I was like, okay, I need to do this, like stressing about it. And so I was Googling because I thought I could do a shortcut, but none of the like home bake ideas that I could find were fit for what I wanted to do. So I was like, oh, fine. I'll just write it myself. (laughs) So I was writing it. And then yesterday we did the session and like they loved it so much we actually played for like two and a half hours longer than we normally would because they were just like really into the story. Oh, I love that. And then when it ended, they were like, that was amazing, Jen. And you were like, that was so good. And I loved it. And I'm like, well, I wrote it last night and they couldn't believe that I'd done it the day before. (laughs) So I just felt like it just was like a warm, fuzzy feeling. And it's just like the thing I love about DMing is that it appeals to that storytelling aspect, right? Like I feel like. Yeah, I'm telling a story and it lets me do that and play with people and tell a narrative that is evolving and moving. So, yeah, that was my little moment of wonder. <laughs> that was great. I love that. How about you? Did you have a moment of wonder? I did. And it's kind of a weird moment of wonder because it's sort of accepting that I'm letting go of something. Um, So on Monday, I drove up to the Blue Mountains and I picked up what I think will be my last vintage furniture purchase for a while because I collect a certain kind of vintage furniture. It's made Summertone and it's just like one company that made furniture in Australia, in Sydney, for 11 years in from 1952 to 1963. So they're really rare. Sometimes when things pop up, I'm like, ooh, but no, I don't want that one. So I'm really choosy about the Summertone I have. Like my desk mm-hmm. is a Summertone and I have two different sets of chairs, but both need restoring. My table is a Summertone. So I finally got these little bedsides. And when I went up to get them, I was like conscious of the whole, like the whole time I thought like, this is it. This is the last thing I'm going to get for a while. And it kind of caused this like shift in the way I think about 
who I am as a collector. And by the end of the week, I was like, okay, well, I've got Saturday free because we switched our pod recording to today to Sunday. Um, so I'm going to just go through and put everything that I don't want to keep in a pile and get rid of it. And even if I just give it away on free cycle, it's going to go and someone else will love it. And I felt so much mm. better. So my moment of wonder was like, I'm putting my collection on pause because I need to be happy with where it is. But mm. it's not a hardship to do that. Oh, that's beautiful. I love that. I am super excited about this book and this season. Yeah, so this week we started Strange the Dreamer as our new book. Um, and I'll do a little a little intro, shall I? I'll read the book blurb. Oh, yes, thank you. So that we have some background. So, the dream chooses the dreamer, not the other way around. And Laszlo Strange, war orphan and junior librarian, has always feared that his dream chose poorly. Since he was five years old, he's been obsessed with the mythic lost city of Weep, but it would take someone bolder than he to cross half the world in search of it. Then a stunning opportunity presents itself in the person of a hero called the Godslayer and a band of legendary warriors, and he has to seize his chance or lose his dream forever. Woo! I mean, it's got an amazing premise, but I think that this book is at its heart a love story, and maybe not even like a romantic love story, but just a story about loving something so much. Mm. Loving an idea or loving a pursuit so much. Loving the chase, the quest. Yeah, yeah. Um, We chose knowledge for the overall theme. And I always want to touch on why we, how we choose our themes. So we, so far, we've always chosen a book that we've read before. And then we have a conversation about like what themes we think we want to examine over the course of the book. It's really not scientific at all. Like we just spitball. (laughs) And like if it doesn't feel right, we'll say, oh, and the other one will go, okay, yeah, we don't need that one. Or you, I think mm-hmm, we bounce ideas mm-hmm. pretty well off each other. Yeah. Um, and so for this one, knowledge just felt like the right one, I think, because Laszlo is a librarian and we see him as somebody who's a real collector of stories like you. So <laughs> the rest of the themes, we just pick from our list, our master list, and then kind of stick them where they seem like they'll go. I mean, it's really super mm. cash. Yeah. Just what feels right. Yeah. It's more of a gut thing, right? We sort of just go and see how it feels. Um, I'm quite excited to revisit this book. So I've only read it once and that was last January and I think it was a recommendation from you when (laughs) I was wailing and crying because I just read Educated by Tara Westover and needed a palate cleanser yeah (laughs) Yeah. and you recommended this and I liked it but it wasn't one of those books that like set my world on fire you know some of those books that you just feel like this is the most amazing thing ever yeah so I'm actually really excited to do a close reading and spend more time with this text because I think there's a lot I can learn from it and I really want to immerse myself in the magic and the beauty of it, which I didn't really do the first time around because I read it so quickly. So I think there are really important lessons to be learned from this text and I'm looking forward to seeing what it can teach me. I'm excited too. I will confess that the reason that I love this book so much is because I read it really quickly the first time, the same way you read it, and I thought, oh, that's a great book. And then I just went on about my business. And then because I love Steve West, who narrated the Scorpio races, I went looking for all the other books that Steve West narrated. And this is one of them. Mm. And I was like, oh, I would probably listen to that. And I did. And it caught me way more the second time when I was listening Mm. to it. And I think because I was spending, yeah, more time with it and really just like living inside of the world and those characters, I just absolutely fell in love with it all over again. Yeah. And that was still before the Muse of Nightmares had come out. So I was like, what? Come on. I need the sequel yesterday. (laughs) But yeah, I'm really excited to actually spend some time thinking about all of our themes and how they work together. And I also really want to spend a little bit of time trying to get to the bottom of Thion Nero because he's kind of a jerk, but like, you 
you know, we're trying to make peace with the jerks in our stories. I am anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can kind of, I already have quite a bit of sympathy for him because he's, he's in a difficult position. Absolutely. So I, I'm yeah. being very sympathetic him but i do love a tortured character what can i say <laughs> me too but i also love those who are just cinnamon rolls like absolutely and, and laszlo is like the ultimate cinnamon roll yeah absolutely for our first session we are reading the prologue and the first five chapters through the theme of expectations mm. so that sits along with our theme of knowledge and um yeah let's kick off with a story from you about expectations okay um disclaimer i'm not usually a mean person but i come off as pretty mean in this story so <laughs> i can vouch for that she's definitely not mean. <laughs> i think the slytherins in the audience might enjoy this one though okay a few weeks ago my husband was making oven chips as like a late night snack um now he super loves tomato sauce like loves tomato sauce and i'm a diehard <laughs> ranch dressing fan if America has gotten one thing right in its long and storied history, it's ranch dressing. So <laughs> uh, anyway, it was late and I wasn't that hungry. So when he offered me some oven chips, I was like, eh, no thanks. Are you sure? Because you know I'm going to cover these in tomato sauce. And I said, I'm sure. Um, and he asked me this more than once, like two or three times in the span of as many minutes. So I'm <laughs> sitting there and I'm watching him squeeze tomato sauce over all the chips. And then he sets the bottle down and I turn to him and I say, oh, actually... And his face just falls. <gasps> he was immediately trying to figure out in his amazing and brilliant mind if maybe the grocery store is still open and he can walk up and buy me more oh. to make me more. Or like, um, because he had just literally covered them all in tomato sauce. And meanwhile, I am like wheezing with laughter because I had just totally played a joke on him. And it only worked because I am not usually or ever really that mean to him or anyone. And I probably wouldn't have been <laughs> if he hadn't asked me like six or seven times if I was really sure I didn't want any of his chips. I thought he knew I was joking, but he didn't. And boy, did he panic. Oh, what a sweet <laughs> I know. But I love this story because it's actually about expectations. We expect each other to offer to share, unless it's something that we clearly don't share. Like, I don't take his M&Ms and he leaves my ice cream alone, mm. for example. We expect one another to make allowances for the other. So if I'd said I did want chips, he wouldn't have put tomato sauce all over them, even though he loves tomato sauce. He would not have put mm. them in the tomato sauce car wash if I had wanted to eat any. <laughs> um, and this is the same reason why I don't have coriander in anything, because yeah. he really doesn't like it. We expect each other to be generous and considerate and honest, and we expect that of ourselves as well. So when I teased him by pretending I changed my mind, it worked because I tested the expectations we both set. Mm. He was worried I would be disappointed in him because we share and cultivate those expectations. Instead, he got to be annoyed that I was pulling his leg, which to be fair, I was absolutely guilty of doing. <laughs> no regrets. <laughs> That is adorable. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it can be a hindrance to have expectations. I think especially when you're young, you often just get given expectations by people who are older mm. and in charge of you. And you have to then, as you grow up, decide what expectations you're going to choose for yourself. But like sometimes when it comes to a life lived together, a life shared, we rely on those expectations to agree on what is and what isn't acceptable. They're a shorthand for understanding which of our needs must be met. And sometimes they're just a way of knowing someone else really, really well, including exactly when to say, are there any chips that aren't covered in tomato sauce? <laughs> just underneath this one, <laughs> one spare chip. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> that was my moment when I was not a very good wife, but it made me laugh. Oh, that is like right up my alley. I do things like that all the time. All the time. I'd be like, oh, did you not leave any for me? You said you didn't want any. Every time. <laughs> that was the uh, story about expectations. Okay. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed that story. Thank I'm you for sharing. I'm so glad you did. <laughs> 
So we're going to do our reading summaries a little bit differently. We're going to talk about just like what happens rather than going chapter by chapter. Mm -hmm. Do you want to kick off this week? So um, our story opens with a dying girl, a dying blue girl, and an explosion, and the reaction of an entire city. Meanwhile, several years before in Zosma, a war orphaned baby at a monastery is christened Laszlo Strange. He grows up obsessed with stories, particularly stories of the city of Weep, whose true name is lost to the entire world in a single terrible moment. As a young man, Laszlo is sent on an errand to the great library of Zosma and stays. The library decides to keep him. And there he begins to properly fall in love with Weep, or the Unseen City, and begins recording his research. Growing up in parallel to Laszlo is Thion Nero, a science-minded man of immense privilege. Laszlo helps Thion in a moment of compassion, and Thion repays his kindness by stealing Laszlo's research. Because of course he does. Um, yeah, so expectations and knowledge. Now, I think knowledge was all over this, so I feel like that's a good overall theme for us to have picked. Mm. Yeah, I think for me, something that I thought of immediately was just the great library as like a font of knowledge. You know, like this libraries are where you go when you expect to find answers. So it's like a, a summation of both expectation and knowledge. Like Laszlo, when he turns up, he says... You know, when he came to the library, he thought he'd surely find answers here. Yeah. Because he has that expectation, right? And then, yeah. I just think it was an interesting encapsulation of both our themes. Yeah. I, I think the library itself represents what it means to be given the opportunity to learn, right? But there's still mm. a lot of expectations in there. So the librarians are basically, they're scholars, but they don't have the social cachet of scholars. So mm. they can study on their own time, but it's personal it's not about the betterment of the society as a whole it's always in service to other scholars those of a class who can afford education yeah yeah like it doesn't count right like even if they discover something the librarian's research doesn't count so there's definitely something there i think about the expectation of class right Mm -hmm. there's definitely like know your place this is this is your station in life and this is what is expected of you in that station so that affects Laszlo, but it also affects Thion. Yeah. Because he's been born to a certain station and he has expectations placed on him of what he needs to deliver as well. So it's this idea of like this class system yeah. doesn't benefit anyone. Yeah, it really doesn't. And I think there's a lot in, and we do see this contrast later as the book develops, where we see a lot more about how when different people come to the city and sort of talk to them like oh it's only for men to study and Mm. be scholars and like there's that immediate you know disconnect between like it's not available to all people and it's not even available to all men yeah like this is how segregated it is and everyone else seems to think that it's normal everyone in Zosma thinks it's normal but people from outside of that kind of look at it and go really just struck me at what a waste that is right like to keep people in the system how much knowledge is lost because you won't open yourself up to different perspectives or different people to learn and it's just so unjust like there's that line on page 53 where Laszlo says now just like that they were his work validated and stolen in one fell swoop and I just wrote in the margins classic patriarchy because (laughs) that is you know it's not valuable until it's suddenly valuable and then it's taken from you and you are completely sidelined because now some boring white man is going to claim it. What would a mediocre white man do? Every day I ask myself that question. (laughs) And then you go and kick butt and I love it. Basically. (laughs) Yeah there's a lot about knowledge which I think is really interesting. It's 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 sort of the thing that drives both Laszlo and Thion. And I found this really, mm. like, the parallel between them was that they both need knowledge and they both access it, but, like, in completely different ways. So Laszlo just mm. loves stories. Like, it says that when he's a child, you know, he listens to stories the way that a cactus drinks rain. And even before he had anything, he owned stories and he, he treated them mm. like his own little hoard of gold. 
And I love that he just accumulates this knowledge and he keeps it because he loves it. And Thion is actually doing the same thing, but to produce actual gold. Like he's accumulating Mm. knowledge. He loves science. He's very meticulous in his research, which I respect. Like I respect that he has, he has a lot of care for the process, but he has a pressure that we don't know about. He has expectations Mm. that we don't understand. Whereas Laszlo's just expected to do his job and keep his head down. I, um, I thought that was really interesting as well, but I thought they were driven by knowledge, but in different ways. Like Laszlo wants it. He desperately wants knowledge, Mm -hmm. whereas Sion needs it. Like he needs to know in order to deliver what he needs to do. So I think there's a difference between wanting and needing and how you approach it like there's a desperation to Thion which is more feverish in Laszlo but it's more like an obsession with him whereas for Thion it's like I you know I I have to do this because otherwise who knows what's going to happen to me yeah the weight of the entire kingdom is on him yeah and I thought he was also a little bit disdainful of knowledge in a way you know when he's talking about alchemy and how he approaches it and how he has no time for magic like there's that great line on page 34 where he called it the consolation of would-be wizards cursed to live in a world without magic so he's kind of like disdainful of like this the way that people approach it but in the end yeah it's it's a book of fairy tales that gives him the key to unlocking yeah like it is it is this fairy story that saves him yeah it's because Laszlo believes in magic that helps him. So he's disdainful of magic, but Laszlo isn't because he has that line, you know, he knew magic was real because he'd felt it when the name of the Unseen City was stolen from his mind. Like, so for him, it's that lived experience that means that he knows that it's a real thing. Whereas Thion is dismissive of that, but it's Laszlo's experience that allows him to do what he needs to do. Which is interesting. Yeah, I really wonder about that. It's a, it's an expression of faith too, isn't it, right? Like he has to keep the faith that this is magic rather than accepting the overarching explanation that everybody else came to, which is that it, it's just a thing that happened mm. or didn't happen or it was always called that. Like he has to hold on to that even in the face of so much. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. It's not just magic that he believes in. It's believing in magic that he believes in. Yeah, I love that because I, I one of the marginalia that I had here was I underlined obliterating the heads of angels on page 43 which is when Laszlo goes into the um, Thion's uh, laboratory and he sees it and I just wrote down you know it's that classic thing of science over religion yeah you know how that's that always that tension and Thion is a man of science and therefore he has no time for magic whereas Laszlo allows for that yeah he accepts that in part and parcel right he says that there's a you know the crumbs in a wizard beard a wizard's beard but that's his way of saying that all of folklore contains some truth to it so the idea that we tell these stories to each other it's We're just telling each other stories about being human, really. Mm. In a way, all fiction is kind of true because it's all just a different way of connecting and and, and forging that connection that maybe we wouldn't be able to do without the stories to facilitate. It draws on the commonality of like the human experience, right? There's Mm. this idea that there is something that unites us at a base level that makes us all human in the way that we experience life. So that's what stories tap into, this universal concept that we can relate to. And at the very least, it says we're all an audience for what we observe. Mm. We're all alive. (laughs) Yeah. Amazingly. Um, I really love Laszlo's brain. Mm. He can read something and remember at once. And this is something I've never been able to do. I think I just really love smart people. <laughs> so all my friends are like varying degrees of genius in this way. And I'm just like derping along reading and underlining Aww. and highlighting everything. But I admire people who can read and immediately like understand and put into context what they're reading without having to think about it. Yeah, he's got a great way of looking at the world. Yeah. Where did that come from? Because he has been raised in a, the monks are all men and they're all very 
strict and there's definitely a squashing of that hopefulness and wistfulness and story loving self like he has to squash all of that down I thought it was interesting what he's willing to do to nurture his search for knowledge to nurture that flame right like he puts himself in quite difficult positions like you know he goes to see brother Cyrus even though everyone is really scared of him but he volunteers to take him the meals because he wants the stories and then he rushes into the building even knowing that he's gonna get whipped because of it right but he doesn't care because he needs to know he needs to find an answer and then he goes to the great library and he basically locks himself in a basement and they find him days later. It's like, you could starve down there. Anything could happen to you. And he's just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And when he goes to help Thion as well, he's it's like this feverish thing that comes over him and he just does things without thinking about the consequences. Yeah. He's really called to get stories, but also he's really called to help. I think he sees enough of himself in Thion in that moment when Thion is really subjugated mm. by his father. Like he sees that and goes, oh, I didn't, I didn't think that could happen to somebody as magnificent as that. And it yeah. humanizes that in a way that Thion is not interested in. He does not want to be humanized. He doesn't want to be seen as an equal to or even in the same room as Laszlo Strange. And Laszlo's just like, right, we can do this together. I will help. I will be the supporting character in your hero story. Yeah. And Thion's just like, how are you trying to humiliate? He doesn't see that Laszlo has no interest in being the hero. Like, he doesn't have the knowledge that Laszlo is not interested in it being his narrative. Mm. He can only see from his own perspective. Yeah. And that was an interesting, like, subversion of expectations as well. Like, Mm. Laszlo has very clear expectations of what Thion is and what Thion's life is. And then when that is flipped on its head, it's, it's quite challenging, right? Like, he's sort of frozen in the moment. And then Thion also has very clear expectations of how people will behave. Like, people will not just help they will always be trying to get something from you or trying to like use you or whatever yeah. so he can't see Laszlo's intentions because of those preconceived notions and he wouldn't believe it even if it were explained to him which I think is just wild yeah because in the last chapter that we read you know at the end Laszlo's like why and Thiana's like well I wanted to ask you why because he can't he can't understand that why wouldn't you use this knowledge for yourself? And Lazar's like, this is not my story. Yeah, he he's even says it would have been like stealing it. But then we know Thion has no problem stealing Laszlo's story. He's got his own story already, but he's like, nah, I'm yeah. going to go take that one. I do wonder if, and maybe we'll, we'll probably touch on this next week, but I kept thinking, why? Like, why does he need the complete works of Laszlo Strange? And at the end, you know, we, we discover at the end of the section, we discover he's actually reading it, which is not something that Laszlo even considers. Like, he doesn't think it's, possible that Thion Nero would be interested in what he has to say. No, he thinks Thion's just trying to cover up the fact that Laszlo t- like gave him the info on how to transmute gold, right? Yeah, or maybe like just punish him in some way or remind him of his place. Mm. He, he doesn't think that Thion would care, but he he's I think he's taking something really personal. It's a very personal thing to take, and he's definitely taking it. He's stealing his dream, as the text says. Mm. Oh, not happy with it. Stop it, Thion. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> Yet more bad parenting. Mm, I know. Like, what is with these? We need a bad parent award. <laughs> I think I did write in the margins. Classic Lucius. It's a Lucius move. The Dark Lord expects this of you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could take that and drop it right into the other one. It all makes sense. Oh, absolutely. I think Laszlo's expectation is that he's he's always going to contribute to the greater stories of others. And I have a question mm. for you. Do you think that's because of his upbringing or do you think that's just his genuine like personality? I think it's his upbringing. I think he's just, you know, he's grown up in this environment where he is estranged and society won't allow him to climb, basically. Mm. And so he knows that his place is to be a supporting character. And he's fine with that as long as 
because he can have this little dream. Because I think it's interesting that he's getting all this information. He doesn't expect to ever act on it. Like in his own mind, he doesn't expect to ever actually go and find Weep, right? Yeah, he wants to, but I don't think he knows if he can. Like, What's that? He said, it wasn't for the simple accumulation of knowledge, but with the goal of one day circumventing impossibility. Mm. So even as he recognizes that it's not possible, it's still like his goal or his ambition. Yeah, <laughs> it's like me trying to write a novel. <laughs> you will get there, though. You do not have to cross the elm with the left. I mean, maybe it's a metaphorical elm with the left. I think there's more to Laszlo that he obviously there's more to Laszlo than he knows mm. and he doesn't know his own strength or his own depth of character and so this idea that he can't be the hero of the story is a narrative that he's telling himself because that's what society has told him you know he's kind of hampered by that I don't think it's his personality he does want to help though this is the thing that really gets me so I don't know if he's generous or if he's foolish but on page 39 after he sees Thion being beaten by his father and he's sort of hiding and waiting to leave you know he's really stricken by this thing that he's come across it says right there in the tomb walk as though it were a real physical burden he put himself beneath it to help thion bear the weight even if thion didn't know it i just love that he was like oh i can help so i will because nobody should have to bear it alone which does not like considering that the older boys at the the monastery made the younger boys go and take meals to the scary brother cyrus you know like i mean there wasn't a lot of protection and care shown Mm. to laszlo really so the fact that he's able to do this yeah and not just not pursuing his own advantage but like actively giving things to someone else just because they need it like Mm. empathy yeah it's hugely (laughs) generous and i really love it is he a hufflepuff do you think he's a hufflepuff he's good at finding things he is good at finding things, but he does love a book. So is that not more of a Ravenclaw trait? See, I would say that I would say that um, Thion is a Ravenclaw because he is um, like once he's freed yeah. of the expectations, I think he's able to really pursue knowledge in a a different way, in a pure way. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting that Laszlo, you know, he has this quality of empathy and compassion, and he wants to help, but he defines it as honor. Mm. So on page thirty-two, you know. It goes into saying, To Thion Nero, birth, wealth, privilege, looks, charm, brilliance. And to Laszlo Strange, to pick off and dust off the one thing left over, honour. I think that is so powerful to imply that Thion has no honour and Laszlo has all of the honour. Yeah. And that is why he behaves in the way that he does. It's honourable. But I think it's more than that. I don't think it's just honour. Maybe honour in this case, like generosity or kindness or just like genuine good humaning. I don't know. I think maybe Thion's trying to honor the investment that was made in his work in his laboratory, but also, like, how can you honor that when you're under so much pressure? How can you do that without it being, I don't know, is it any more, is it any more wonderful to cure a disease because you get paid a lot of money for it or because you want to cure the disease? If the outcome is the same, Mm. then what is... Does the intention matter? Yeah, does the motive count? Like, does it matter that he was able to transmute lead to gold because it helps his auntie the queen not be invaded mm. like does that because it stops another war from happening it it prevents more orphans like laszlo being brought in to be raised by unfeeling monks like there's there's good in that there's honor in that but like also you're just printing money i think it's interesting the kind of mysticism that it built up around the whole transmuting lead into gold thing and the alchemy and all that stuff and how it's this big thing and like 
um, there's that line on page 34 where Thion says, you know, look how complicated this is, alchemists said, even as they made it so. Mm, mm -hmm. Which I love, this idea that they made it complicated. It wasn't a complicated thing, but they made it so. And then Laszlo comes in with the solution, which is basically just using blood. Yeah. And then you can do it. And it's like, if people knew that, anyone could do it. There's nothing special about it. Literally anyone could do it. Not blood, blood. Yeah. (laughs) No, yeah, yeah. Bodily fluids. Yeah. The spirit, which is separate. Um, which is a concept I super love. Like, my favorite system mm. in the body is the um, endocrine system. So, like, I love lymph and the idea of lymph just sludging around doing its thing. So I'm like, ooh, it's like lymph. I mean, this is super gross. I know that I'm a weirdo to have a favorite whatever. I also have a favorite muscle and a favorite bone. Because <laughs> why not? But, like, I love the idea of a, a group of people out there who are basically humans, but they have a second heart and it's pumping, like, their vitality this spirit. Yeah, it reminds me of like Dementors being an allegory for depression. Mm. Just as a casual aside. Yeah. Yeah, I just think it's interesting that this thing that basically any th- anyone could do if they knew. So what is the... Would it be terrible if everyone could make their own gold? Would that just completely devalue the, the value of the currency? You know, we're yeah. going to have a massive recession then. Inflation's gone wild. Like, what's the economic structure of this place? Yeah. I think the reason that Laszlo brings it to Thion, not just because he sees that, like, kinship between them, which we see Mm. again mirrored throughout the story. Like, they always end up underfoot of each other. Um, But there's definitely this idea that he brings it to him because he wants to help a kid like him. Like, they're the same age. They're in the Mm. same city. They both work in the same, like, university, basically. But he knows that Thion has this wealth and privilege. So he puts himself, he subordinates himself in order to better serve the greater good, maybe. Mm. Not having a war is a good thing. Um, Helping another boy who's been brutally beaten is a good thing. Um, But Thion just doesn't see it. He doesn't, his expectations are not that someone would stoop to help him out. It's Mm. that, like, how dare somebody from a lesser social class help him out. And how dare they yeah. presume to have anything that could help him. And it's also the thing, like, don't pity me. He cannot bear to be pitied by someone who is beneath him, right? Yeah. Like, that is not, it's not allowed. It's not acceptable. But I think also what motivates Laszlo is his knowledge and understanding of the consequences of war, mm. which to Thion would be kind of an abstract concept, right? Like, yeah. oh, well, if we get invaded, then I'll lose my privilege. But to Laszlo, it's a very real thing. Like, war has already taken from him. So if he can spare future generations or other people from that, he will. Yeah. That first line where he says about his name, I'm just going to find it because I love it so much. Laszlo, he'd had another name first, but it had died like a song with no one left to sing it. Oh, that hmm. gets me. I I think about a lot of the a lot of the things that are just really dehumanizing about war, that loss of connection, that loss of family, that loss of like an unbroken chain of story and history and that can really affect your personhood I think but Laszlo has instead decided to invest a lot of his heart forward in this idea of going to the unseen city someday and just Mm. aggregating knowledge around it like he's he knows that no one's coming for him he says that right in the beginning he knows no one's going to come for him and he's never going to know his true name but maybe someday he could see the unseen city what a beautiful way to respond to not having anything is to just create something and go forward with it like to 
to treat knowledge as gold is really beautiful and I love it. Bless. I know. Also, I think he's handsome even if his nose was broken by fairy tales. Yeah. It's interesting how, you know, Thion is described as being, you know, so handsome and he's the very picture of a leading man and of course he's going to be like the golden godson and like all these things and it's super gross that his aunt the queen wears a necklace of his hair Mm. though, I can just say that. And he's described as godlike and then Laszlo talks about himself as being not a god and I'm like... Mm-hmm. Let us let us park that for later discussion. <laughs> yes, I actually really love this because this whole book, all of Thion's fears come true, mm. and it's nothing that Laszlo did. It's no. nothing that he does. He doesn't choose this. He doesn't actively subvert Thion in any way. He's not a saboteur. He just is very careful and wary and cautious as the story goes on. But he ends up being everything that. Um, Thion can't be. Yeah. And it's super frustrating and I love it. <laughs> but I also feel like Thion brings that in himself by trying to insert himself into the story that's not his story. Like, just yeah. mind your business and then this wouldn't be happening to you. But mm. he can't help himself, right? Because he comes from that position of privilege. So, of course, if he if he wants to do something, he's just going to do it. Nothing has ever been denied him. Yeah. So it wouldn't even enter his mind not to do something. He is a scholar and he's the preeminent scholar. So, of course, he's the most important person and needs to go Mm. and do all of the things when you know the god slayer comes asking for help of course he is the person who will go with them yeah naturally yeah because he's an alchemist and he's the premier alchemist and he's a scholar and he's the best of the best of the best that ever was exactly we see this a lot in this book where i think that laszlo's unique knowledge is really what propels him to be more helpful than anyone could have ever imagined Mm. And I really love that. So I want to kind of be on the lookout for the knowledge that Laszlo has that he uses, sometimes perfectly, sometimes imperfectly. Like he does have a friend later who plays a lot of tricks on him um, Mm. and teases him and gets him to say rude things, which is great. Like in my big fat Greek wedding. Yeah. You know, they're always like he's trying to learn Greek and the the brother and the cousin are always making him say really inappropriate things. Mm. Yeah. He's got a friend who does that, which I think is hilarious. (laughs) But yeah, I'm interested to see and to go close go deeper on this Hmm. do you have anything else about expectations i feel like i wrote a lot but yeah i mean like there's a lot of expectations i think just yeah he yeah no (laughs) i think the only other note i wanted to do on expectations is that the prologue was kind of setting our expectations Mm, yeah that's a good one and i just as an aside i want to say i love prologues like this where you get the end before you have any of the stakes because then when you get to the end and you have all of the stakes you're like oh I knew about this and I'm so mad because like it's so small but it also gives you all of the context that you're missing so I really love when you kind of get like the spoiler in the beginning without any Mm. of the other information um and I also I just have to say the way that Lainey Taylor writes it's so lyrical and so beautiful and it's like a song or a translation Mm. Yeah. Like, I felt like I was reading something that was much older that had been translated. Yeah, it's got some beautiful turns of phrase. Just the way things are written. It's just, yeah. And it's got a nice kind of cadence to it as well. Mm. It's lovely to hear read aloud. So I can highly recommend the audiobook because it's just beautiful listening. Mm. If you want something to listen to. I can't do audiobooks. <laughs> That's okay. I'll do them for us. I just, my brain does this really weird thing if I listen to an audiobook where I'm imagining myself reading. So in my, if you can see my thought bubble, I'm sitting there with a book and then within that is another thought bubble where the story takes place. Oh, really? So it's like this bubble within a bubble. I can't just go straight from listening to the audiobook to seeing the story. <laughs> yeah, brains are weird. They are weird. 
I I only ever do audiobooks when I'm doing something else. So like if I'm sewing or cooking or like painting, I'll listen to an oh, audiobook. Yeah. Like, but when I'm running, it has to be music. So, <sighs> all right. Now we are gonna do something slightly different, where we're gonna take one little bit of marginalia and go in depth on it. Yeah. And I'm really excited about this because we do tend to gloss, like we tend to touch on a lot of our marginalia, but. Um, like, yeah. we're going to take one little bit and just kind of dive a little deeper on it. You know, I have loads of marginalia for these chapters, but I think being a bit more focused and spending a bit more time on one section will be good for both of us. So, yeah, let's yeah. bring it in. Oh, bring right. a close huddle. So it's four parts. So we're going to use what the context is and how does it relate to our themes, um, mm-hmm. what it reminds us of in other texts, or and what we can do, like how we're going to apply it forward or what we're going to use, how we're going to basically turn it into a real-life lesson. Um, so are we going to think about it? Are we going to do something about it? Like, how does it sit with us in a real sense? Cool. So, yeah. Do you want to go first? Tell me your marginalia. I'm keen to hear it. Sure. So the marginalia that I chose for my in-depth fiction is on page 20. And it is a piece of dialogue when Master... I don't know how to say Hiroken. his name. Hiroken. Master Hiroken. He says to Laszlo, life won't just happen to you, boy, he said. You have to happen to it. Remember, the spirit grows sluggish when you neglect the passions. So the context of this is he, Master Hirokin, is upset that Laszlo has been in the library on his day off just reading through, you know, receipts basically (laughs) and like working on weep and he just wants them to go out and like find a girl and do some flirting and just be (laughs) a young man. So his expectations of Laszlo is to be, you know, like a... A, a young man and he's not yeah. living up to those expectations young and full of sap go out do the thing yeah do the thing go flirt stop being such a nerd basically <laughs> is what he's saying and they're having this long exchange where it's quite it's really cute it's a really nice picture of their relationship this back and forth yeah i think it's really wholesome it is really wholesome because um, laszlo's giving as good as he's getting to he's teasing him yeah. back, which i love yeah so how does it relate like how do you think it relates to the themes knowledge and expectations so I think it relates to this idea of knowledge that, you know, book learning is all good, but real life experience is really important as well. Mm. So I think there's a real thing there that you have to go and find knowledge too. You can't just kind of hang about and expect it to just come to you. Like even yeah. the act of being in a library and going to find a book that is still an active thing. So it's this idea that you have to actively participate in order to enrich your life. And the expectation as well that you, you know, you have to... I think the way I saw expectation in this particular section was just he had expectations of Laszlo and he was sad that Laszlo wasn't living <laughs> up to them. And yeah. yeah, sometimes you have to push yourself beyond what you think is expected of you, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I just really love it. I think it just, um, it's just a real nice call to action. It reminds me of ferris bueller that was the first thing i thought about because you know there's that whole thing you know (laughs) life moves pretty fast and if you don't stop and look around you'll miss it right and also like it kind of reminds me of you know we've spoken about this before but the first pirates of the caribbean film is one of my favorites and i think the idea of that is that you know elizabeth goes out and she makes her own destiny and she goes Mm. and she you know she forges her own story and she it's just this really cool thing about like going out and being adventurers and this this quote is like, you know, you have to happen to it. Like life yeah. is kind of what you put into it as well. You yeah. can't just expect your life to form around you. You have to be an active participant. I really love that. Yeah, so that I think is what it calls me to do is just be like, be active in life. Everything you're doing, like, yes, there are parts of life that is boring, like me going to work every day. 
so mm-hmm. easy to do that kind of an autopilot. But there are opportunities if you are actively present and actively pursuing things. So just be be an active participant. Don't let life happen to you. So that's kind of what I thought was a good thing. I love because that. Because then, you know, this idea of like your spirit grows sluggish when you neglect the passions. Like, yeah, if you're just going through the motions, it's easy to be bored and just be a bit down on everything. But if you find little nuggets of joy, then life has meaning. Yeah. Make those connections. Go find a girl <laughs> or person. Doesn't have to be a girl. No, that's right. So, Everybody welcome. Yes, we call <laughs> we call it the buddy system. Like, do you have your buddy? Go find your buddy. This is what you Aww, need. Sometimes I love that. You just need a buddy. Go through life with a buddy. That's all I ever really wanted when I was younger was just a, a partner. <laughs> I know it seems so mm. cheesy, but like, I just wanted someone always on my side. Oh, I love that. That's so sweet. Yeah. It doesn't like it. It doesn't have to be a romantic or any like you just need someone who's like your buddy in your corner. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what was your in-depth marginalia? Uh, mine was also Master Hirokin because I love that hey. he's like the imperfect uncle for Laszlo. And um, I love that Laszlo shoots back with all of this to all of this well-meaning advice by saying what's the point of being young if you can't ignore all advice um, oh yeah so you know he's he's taken this all very well and you know in truth Leslie's kind of a bit like he wouldn't know where to start with a girl and doesn't know any girls and just like he's an <laughs> orphan and he has no money and like he's not anybody of note so he's like yeah I'm not gonna go out there and try and flirt like are you kidding me <laughs> Whether he wants it or not is irrelevant. He just doesn't think it would happen. But he's still kind. And he kind of shoots back this little, like, what's the point of being young if you can't ignore all advice? And I was thinking about this because he does take it all in and he does take it all. Like, he he says he's ignoring it, but he's actually paying quite close attention. Um, And I think it's just more of the knowledge. When you're young, you don't have the knowledge but you, you get the expectations. Mm. So here he doesn't have the knowledge of how important a connection with another person who's not in his library circle could be. <laughs> but the expectation he's receiving is that he should be going out there and looking for this kind of relationship that's not entirely fiction-based. And I was thinking about this when I was I was listening to The Confessional, which is Nadia Bolsweber, who's a She's a Lutheran pastor, and she's really interesting, and she does this podcast called Confessional, and one of the things that she said this week really stuck out to me. I was just listening while I was cooking or something, but it was that we make these mistakes when we're really young, and we learn from them, and then we become the kind of people who would never make those mistakes. Mm. Like, we learn from the experience not to make the mistakes, but, like, what if we could just skip the hurting other people part, you know? Mm. And that's the knowledge. Like, sometimes you have to make the mistake in order to get the knowledge yeah and sometimes you have to ignore the advice because you're young and you don't have the experience even if the expectations of other people are there yeah so I think my call to action or my call to reflect this week is going to be reminding myself that I don't have to know everything and I am still relatively young even if I feel a thousand years old some mornings when I wake up (laughs) and I have snap crackle pop going on in all my joints I can ignore some advice and I can live more fully in the moment without worrying about all of the things yet to come or that I have done and still I can have the knowledge of like how not to hurt people I guess that's beautiful I'm just gonna try and be a good person and what an admirable aim (laughs) the only one worth doing really I think yeah that's lovely that was fun 
I liked that. Yeah, that's good. It's nice to spend like a lot of time on one mm. little bit. Mm. I really had a hard time choosing too. I felt there were about ten that I really loved, and I finally <laughs> the one that was the one that stuck out when I listened to it, and I was like, oh, I think this is the one I need to pay attention to. Yeah, I was the same. I was like looking through the ones that I had underlined, like and made little notes next to, and I was like, oh yeah, that one or that one, and then I just kind of kept reading them until I was like, okay, no, this one. Yeah, I will pick the one that stands out the most. Yes, definitely. It is beautifully written. Oh, isn't it just gorgeous? It's like a tapestry or something. I did want to give one shout out to a line in this book, which is on page 16, Mm. where it says, He lifted one down with more reverence than he'd ever felt for the sacred text at the abbey, blew off the dust, and began to read. Because it's sacred text! (laughs) And, like, Laszlo would be 100% down with doing sacred reading, because he already thinks that all books are valuable. And yeah, I just love that. It's like when you see the the theme referred to in this the chapter, I'm like, ah, great, love yeah, that. Yeah, so yeah. I love that there was a sacred text in this. I know there was lots of knowledge and lots of expectations in here, and I was like, oh, tick, tick, tick. Love ticking my boxes. Um, my favorite line was when Thion was in Laszlo's room and was as out of place in the dingy little room as a sunbeam in a cellar. And I actually wrote, but knowledge belongs everywhere. Mm. yeah like that one really caught me I thought like yeah well maybe he doesn't belong in your room Laszlo because he's coming to threaten to kill you but like also knowledge belongs everywhere and it doesn't just belong to golden privileged young men with means yeah I think like Thion's name is so interesting because his surname's Nero right Mm. and so I think about the Roman emperor Nero who was kind of known for his tyranny and his extravagance and like the fire of Rome And so it just puts me in mind of like Thion being this like burning fast and bright kind of personality. He's going to burn out real quick. Yeah, which he later definitely tries to do, doesn't he? All right. Do you have a character you want to spotlight this week? I do. And, you know, I'm going to spotlight Brother Cyrus, Hmm. who we meet early on in the the section when Laszlo is still at the monastery. And he's the one who tells him about... The Unseen City. And Brother Cyrus is described as a senile monk who the text says his mind has slipped its moorings. And that just made me feel really sad. So, you know, I have family members who have suffered from Alzheimer's and it's difficult to watch people lose their sense of self and also to lose their their sense of place and how other how that affects their family members as well like it's it's just a really hard thing and that's just something so sad about brother cyrus who has these lucid moments but he's confined to his room where children have to bring him meals and the kids don't want to spend time with him and it's just like it's kind of a rough way for him to see out the rest of his life yeah. in the sad little room so i just wanted to give him a virtual hug And to people who are going through that, who are losing family members like that, it's tough. And I'm thinking of you. It's also really important that we, like, even though he's not useful, quote unquote, to anyone else, he still gives Laszlo something so vital Mm. and precious Mm. that it enables him to survive through, like, a very hellish childhood. Like, those stories were the food for his soul, even when he couldn't play and he couldn't do other normal childlike things. Yeah, and it's kind of like people always have value, even if it's not, you know, what a capitalistic society would consider Mm -hmm. valuable, so... Or even what, like, 
could be personally valuable. Like a person doesn't have, have doesn't have to have value to me to be valuable still. Like oh, it, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Like it can yeah. it doesn't have to apply outward to everyone or even to anyone. Like just being a person is valuable enough. And I think that even though there were obviously a lot of problems with the monastery and the way that the kids were dumped on the monastery, and it appears like they got no support or help from anyone else, and they just had these kids to raise, and they don't know how mm. to raise kids. Like they still managed to turn out a few of them that were okay, and at least there were some glimmers of hope for for laszlo there yeah poor kid how about you oh i want to spotlight master hirokin because Mm -hmm. he loves laszlo and he's kind of imperfect he doesn't get laszlo entirely but he still has a lot of time for him like he'll let him talk about the unseen city and he'll let him be excited Mm. about these things and i just think sometimes we love the people in our lives not as well as they need but sometimes it's enough anyway yeah like for laszlo it was enough yeah that's lovely you know, he's turning up. He's there. He looks at the receipt even though he doesn't care. Like, that's kind of, you know, that's a, a lovely thing to do. Yeah. He doesn't make Laszlo feel like less than a person. He definitely still subscribes to the expectations of the society that they're in, where the scholars are above the librarians. Mm. But he cares for Laszlo and he does, you know, what he can to nurture and grow him into manhood, which is hard. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Shout out to all the people who are unofficial uncles and carers. Yeah, the unofficial guardians who are enriching people's lives, being there for them when they've got no one else. It's a incredible thing to do. Yeah. Mentor away. Yay, more mentors. Be the Jack Donaghy to the Liz Lemons of the world. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not, but... <laughs> Mm. Oh, well, that was just beautiful. And I'm excited to keep going with the story. Like, I feel like even with these you know, six chapters that we've read, it's already so in-depth and I've gotten so much more out of it already than from my first reading. So I'm really Yay. excited to see where this goes. Oh, me too. Yeah, and so next week we'll be reading chapter 7 to 13 through the theme of purpose, which should be really exciting. Um, yeah. Because things are kicking off. I know. We're, like, moving right through expectations, purpose... There are lots of other themes. They're all in here somewhere. Yeah, we've got some good ones. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. Lots to take away. Yeah, I did the the summaries this week, and as I was like typing it out and trying not to cry, I'm like, this will be fine. This will be great. This story totally won't destroy me. It's going to destroy me. I hope it doesn't destroy everyone else, too. Good stories do that, though. Yeah. Gotta feel them. Gotta be dismantled and then put back together new. That's how we learn. (laughs) Thank you so much for potting. This was so fun. I'm so excited that we're back into it. Oh, it's always a delight potting with you. You're the best. No, you are. Mm, My little Hufflepuff friend. I love you. Oh, my little Slytherin buddy. (laughs) We're the best. That was so good. Thank you. All right. Well, I will speak to you next week. Yeah. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at marginaliapod.com.